So it's a privilege to be with you, HBIC, on your Mission Sunday in the midst of this series on the commands of Jesus. And I'm really pleased that you gave me Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the Great Commission. And not just because that's, that's a huge passage of scripture for missionaries, but because I find it to be one of the most unifying commands given in all of scripture. Before we look at the Great Commission itself, I'd like to back up a little bit in the life of Jesus to something that he did shortly before his crucifixion. And it comes from John 17, 22 and 23. And it's Jesus is praying for us, for his disciples, for his followers. And he prays this, I have given them the glory that you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So Jesus prayed that. Then he was crucified, resurrected, and he had told these 11 disciples to meet him on a mountain. And in that setting, he tells them to therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Now, I'd like to tell you a couple stories about why I think being obedient to the Great Commission promotes unity in the church and gives us a strength. A number of years ago, one of my mentors encouraged me to take a course in Anthropology for Christian Witness. And so I looked for a seminary where some people I respected had attended and a, a school with a missions background and understanding. And I, I started to take this course uh, by distance from a seminary in the southern part of the U.S. And as we approached the end of the course, they, they disclosed that earlier in their journey of tr training missionaries many, many decades ago, they had sent missionaries out around the world those missionaries had been fruitful in making disciples. Their, dis their disciples, their spiritual children, wanted to go to the same seminary that these missionaries had gone to, but they couldn't because it was a segregated school. So the wife of the president of that school realized the kind of the hypocrisy of what they were doing. And they began to lead a charge to desegregate schools in that state in the US. Missions has a way of bringing people together. From my own experience, when we served in this small Muslim community in Malawi, there's about a million Yao people in, in that nation. There were many different missionaries that had come together there because it was kind of a hard place only about 2% of Yao people would say they're followers of Jesus. Most are Muslim. And it was in the midst of that difficulty that Nigerians and Americans and Asians and Australians came together to see the gospel move forward. Now, maybe because of my stories, you might think that the Great Commission kind of belongs to the special group of people that we call missionaries. And in some ways, there was a part of my life where I, I lived a little bit that way. 
like when I get on an airplane and I go somewhere on a short-term trip, then, then, the great, then I'm really feeding into this great commission and obeying Jesus. So I think anytime when someone tells us what to do, it's important to, to figure out who they're talking to. And, and Jesus, um, when he was on that mountain, we know that there were the 11 disciples. Kind of find it interesting that you're supporting 11 missionary families. Um, but did, that, did what he had to say just apply to them? Well, I think Paul has some things to tell us about that. If we look at the passage um, in Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, Paul says, we are therefore Christ ambassadors as, those God, as though God were making his appeal through us. Then in 2 Timothy 2, 2, Paul talks about entrusting these truths to other reliable believers who will teach others. Then in Acts, there's this time of great persecution. It broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and everyone except the apostles, they were scattered. And it says in verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So I think it's pretty clear that it wasn't just the apostles that were to respond to the Great Commission. And it's not just missionaries. It's, it's all of us. Maybe the strongest argument for why it's all of us comes from the Great Commission itself. Because Jesus is telling the disciples to go and teach others what I have taught you. What had Jesus taught them to do? He had taught them to make disciples. Now, I've tried to kind of help you to understand that the Great Commission applies to all of us. And uh, I'm a parent, and I know that just knowing that someone has given you a directive doesn't necessarily mean you always want to do it. But there are some really good reasons why we should want the Great Commission to apply to us. One is because Jesus is the one asking. He is our Lord. When we served in that little community in Malawi, um, one of my close friends, his name was Abbasi, he was teaching me the language, and we spent hundreds of hours together. And I prayed regularly for Abbasi for years. And Abbasi was Muslim. And one day, about two years into our journey together, Abbasi said, Jonathan, you and I both believe in Jesus. But the difference between you and me is Jesus is your Lord. When somebody is our Lord and they tell us what to do, we should do it. I find it interesting to see other places in society where we use the word mission. The military uses the word mission. People will say, I went on this many missions with the military. Now, if a commanding officer in the military says, you go on this mission, there's not a negotiation. You, you don't say, well, I'd prefer to sit this one out. You do it. And there are other groups within Christianity that, that have a very kind of structured way of following the Great Commission. The Salvation Army is one of those groups. And a few years ago, this 
Business consultant Peter Drucker said that they were one of the best-run organizations in the United States. They know that they're about the Great Commission, and they go after it. Another reason why I think we should want to follow the Great Commission is because the Holy Spirit is in us. And so something in us should resonate as we're doing something right when we follow through on obeying the command of Jesus. I kind of like thinking about investments, investments that matter. Um, if any of you know Dan Diley, he likes investments, and that's part of how he supports his ministry. When I think about investments that pass into eternity, the only thing that I know of is the investments that I make in other people. So if you're here and you're a parent or a grandparent, Investing in discipling your children and your grandchildren, it matters. Another thing that I found powerful in my own journey of seeing people become disciples of Jesus is when I'm discipling someone else, it forces me to grow in my relationship with the Lord. I remember about 20 years ago now, I took an evangelism course and at the end of the course, they took us to a shopping mall and they said, okay, now go put into practice what you've learned. And they said, you, you pair up, you sort of have a, a wingman, a person that's interceding and, and one of you that kind of initiates a conversation. Well, I'll never forget the first person that we walked up to, um, seemed kind of safe, dressed in blue jeans, baseball cap, and we started to use some of the things that we had learned in terms of communicating the gospel. And he was polite. And a few minutes later, he said, now listen, I'm, I'm a Jewish attorney and I know more about scripture than you do. <laughs> and I realized, and, and he said, and I appreciate what you're doing, but, I, but I've heard all of that before. Well, for me, that, it was after that kind of conversation that I went on to pursue greater training, greater understanding of scripture. So that prompted, those kind of experiences prompted me in my own discipleship journey. One of the last reasons that I want to share in terms of why we should want this to apply to us comes from a story of one of our, one of our missionaries who's kind of moving into retirement. And one of the last times we were together, he said to me, he said, Jonathan, I'm, I'm now meeting with some of the people that I knew when I was in my 20s. And they wonder if they've invested their life in the right way. And they have regrets. He said, Jonathan, I have no regrets. Yes, we, this, this person, they sacrificed, but they are pleased with the way that God has led them to invest their life. So I want to tell you a little bit about what we as the BIC US community are doing globally in terms of missions. We, we continue to send people. Um, some agencies today, they've, they, they, they don't necessarily send missionaries. They might send funds. They might uh, take short-term trips, but we send long-term missionaries. There's a few reasons for that. One is God sent what was most precious in sending Jesus as a person. And so when we send people, it's a powerful gesture in sending things that are near and dear to us. 
two, there are places in the Global Brethren in Christ family that they are asking for people with certain special skills. So we've sent doctors and nurses and engineers and theologians, not because we're forcing them on another part of the church, but because another part of the church is inviting them to come and we get to partner with them. I really think World Missions is a great testimony to the interdependency of the global church. Esther Spurrier said a few years ago to me, Jonathan, I think different cultures have different strengths and gifting. And when we are willing to, to invest those globally, there's great fruit that comes from that. Another place where we send people is to areas where there are very few followers of Jesus. Here in the US, the Joshua Project would say that one in four of us is an evangelical Christian. One of the places where there are few followers of Jesus where we have missionaries is in North Thailand. There, it's less than one in 350 people is a evangelical or a follower of Jesus. So in those kinds of places, we send missionaries. Another thing that we're involved in um, and have been for many years, or we've, we help with scholarships for international leaders. We actually provide more scholarships in any given year than we have missionaries that are sent from the US. So when a, when a church around the world says it would really help if we could send this person for Bible training or for some other kind of training, we, we help to fund them, and I'd like to share a bit of a story of one of those students with you. Some years ago, in our second term of service in Malawi, I was working at this Bible college, and I would greet the students in the language that I had learned when we were working in part of that country. It was a minority language, and when I would greet the students, um, normally they'd sort of laugh, sort of chuckle to see me using that language, well, one year, um, a young man came up to me quickly after that, and he said, my name's Matalizzo, and we need to meet. Well, here, Matalizzo was from that minority tribe, the Yao tribe. Matalizzo went to that school for several years, um, then actually spent some time in the U.S. through an MCC program, and now he is part of the team with Doug and Barb Miller, along with his wife, Ethel, reaching the Yao community in Malawi. Domestically, we, we are doing some new and fresh things. We're working with Great Lakes Conference of the Brethren in Christ in Dearborn. One of the largest concentrations of Muslims in the United States is in Dearborn. Uh, so we have deployed a young lady there as kind of a kingdom professional. She's a nurse. She's intentionally uh, in, a, in a community where she would be uh, a, kind of an ethnic minority. And she's reaching... Uh, first-generation Arab immigrants uh, there in Dearborn. If, you're, if you listen to the international news much, you would know that in the last, uh, last few weeks there was a, a camp in Greece that uh, was burnt to the ground. It was a camp called Moriah. A few years ago, well, two years ago in February, I was, I was there at the outskirts of that camp. And 
Just this past week, we were able to send resources from the Global Compassion Fund to an Anabaptist partner that we met there on that island to help those people who are now struggling to find new shelter. And that's an exciting area of ministry for us because uh, we have a priority to send people to lesser reached areas. And it's really hard to send people into places like Syria and Afghanistan. But within 24 hours of me arriving on that island, a, a missionary that was there, a long-term missionary said, Jonathan, I'm really tired. Would you fill in for me and lead a Bible study? And so I was like, I, quickly praying, sure, I'd be happy to. And I found myself leading this Bible study with two Afghani men who just wanted to pray together, and it was one of the most powerful experiences of my life. So we were strategizing as to when we can send teams back and if God is calling the BIC to establish a long-term presence there on that island. Now, in a couple of minutes, I want to share some words from the Apostle Paul that I think will help us here in today's world to be uh, greater disciple makers. But before I do that, I wanna share a bit of an internal challenge that I've had in the three years that I've been in this role. There's a part of me that wants to say, everyone's a missionary. And in some ways that's true, and I have said that. And then there's another part of me that says, well, we don't, we don't say everyone's a pastor or everyone's a doctor or everyone's a teacher. So there's, there's a part of me that wants to say, no, we're not all missionaries. So I'm not sure how, how to answer that, but I am sure that God wants us all to obey the Great Commission. And if it helps us to think like missionaries, I hope we all do. So a few observations that I have about missionaries. One, um, they're risk takers. They're willing to take risks for the sake of the gospel. Two, they're willing to set things aside. Most missionaries leave family behind. Um, a bit of a story of, of risk taking that put things in perspective for me since this uh, kind of COVID season. We have some missionaries in Mozambique and they sent through this praise request. And they said, praise God with us that our, on our recent supply run, we, we only had a few items stolen, were in one small car accident and had to pay one uh, fee that we weren't anticipating to get where we were going. Praise the Lord for a successful trip to get groceries. I thought, wow. The things that I'm tempted to complain about. I can tell you this season of COVID, missionaries haven't complained. One came back and said, you know, we're thriving. Another said, people are asking us why we didn't leave. And they're able to say, because Jesus is worth us being here. So I want to encourage you, church. When I think about HBIC, I think about the way you honor the Holy Spirit by honoring the nations. Every time I come here, I sense that. In many ways, you know what it's like to live missionally. Um, but I'd like to, to kind of begin to close by sharing a, a passage from uh, the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul, uh, he, 
he lived quite a life. He, he was present when the first, uh, mis- the first Christian was stoned, Stephen, and he gave assent to it. He tried to destroy people of the way, people that were Christians. And then he had this radical journey of, of transformation, this radical coming to faith. And for decades, he took risks as a missionary. He was, his body, I think, I think Paul was kind of a rough-looking guy, being beaten and shipwrecked and stoned. But I think what the world is looking for is, there is people like Paul who have earned the right to speak deeply into people's lives. When we were in training, we got to meet uh, this couple who had been used powerfully in, in missions in a very closed country. And I'll never forget the advice that Dwight Graydon gave us. He said, he said, Jonathan, never apologize for the offense of the gospel. Jesus is exclusive. And that for some people, is very offensive. But he also said, never add to the offense of the gospel. And I think Paul had figured that out, this tough guy. And, and in Colossians 3.12, he's, he's giving some counsel. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and patience. When we live in a way that testifies to those qualities of Jesus, we become the kind of people that the world is looking for. So I asked some some gracious volunteers from your staff to wear some international outfits and uh, with signs about these character qualities. And I wanna ask you as you're watching for a bit of a response. I know that I can grow in areas of showing compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I know as a father, especially in this season, I can grow in patience. So I'm asking you if you would respond by praying together with me and asking yourself where God would have you grow in one of these areas as part of your obedient response to the Great Commission. And if God shows you an area, and I think we all have them, that you would commit to telling someone within the next 24 hours that you trust to hold you accountable to grow in that area. Can I pray? Father God, thank you. Thank you for the call of Jesus to make disciples. Thank you for the privilege of using us. God, I praise you for making a way for us to be reconciled to you through Jesus. And God, I thank you for H. Bick and the way that they are pursuing you, 
pursuing your mission for them in this community and around the world. And I ask that you would add the increase to their efforts. God, I pray for your global church that we would be characterized by compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, God. That we would be so peculiar in this world that people would ask us, why are you like that? And we would have the opportunity to introduce them to Jesus in a way that changes their destiny for eternity. God, I praise you for the missionaries we have the privilege of supporting together. I think of the uh, three families that are trying to travel right now, the Bathursts and the Millers and the Hades, and I pray that you would uh, help us to have another experience that we can look back on and see your faithfulness when they celebrate getting to where you've called them to go. Father, I praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.